today uh, we're going to be in James chapter 5, and we are going to finish James chapter 5, which is the last chapter in James. We're going to land the plane today. Uh, we started actually the book of James back in July, uh, July 5th to be exact, and we're ending it today, which is cool. Um, I just love, it just feels good to get to the end of something and to feel a little accomplished. So uh, today the title of the message is The Community, The Community. Uh, last week, uh, James was encouraging uh, the people he was writing to the church to be patient and persevere. Do you guys remember that? To be patient and persevere, that we're to uh, stay calm and keep going uh, despite the hard things that life throws at us, that Jesus is coming back at any time. Raise your hand if you remember talking about that last week, just a little bit, right? Uh, super cool. But in the meantime, uh, this is something we are to do together. You see, James ends his letter with specific direction and instruction on how to be together as a community, because the reality is that Jesus is not here yet, right? Uh, he's, he, there's this waiting time that we're to be patient and persevere, but we're to do it together. And so he continues in this idea, uh, the what to do in the waiting. How are we to function as people a part of this community as we wait for Jesus, as this church community. And this word community, right, is the title of the message, but I want you to think about it for a second. Uh, think about the word community. It's a compound word of two different words. Does anyone know what they are? No, common unity. It's literally that simple. Common unity. That a community, that there's some common unity, meaning that uh, we have a community of like Chino, Chino Hills area. The, the, what is the common unity? It's that we live in the same area, right? And so it's a community. Uh, and for us, we have something called the church community, meaning that you and I, we gather together and we have something in common. What do we have in common? Okay, church. What, what more specifically? Jesus, right? Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus. All right. Do you guys remember last week when I was trying to pump you guys up a little bit and uh, give me some amens and some hallelujahs? Let's keep that going today. All right. So if something, something you hear and you're like, man, I, I agree with that or that's good. Just say amen and nice and loud. Don't, you don't have to be ashamed. And so, and when I ask you to repeat something, just do it. All right. It's cool. Uh, so Jesus is our common unity. It's what brings us together. And the church, sometimes we take it for granted because we come so often Sundays, Wednesdays, like, oh yeah, that's just church. No, the church, this community we have is something awesome. It's something very special that God has given us. Um, but the community that we live in, is it living up to its expectation? You see, uh, as part of this church community, are we living up to all it could be? God has given us something very special, this community of people. It's a family that God has given us. That look around, this is a family. That God has put this common unity and brought us together uh, because of Jesus. But are we contributing to make it the community that God has intended. You see, in this, in this whole thing that we're gonna look at today, there is this idea of togetherness. That as a church, as a community, that there should be a togetherness uh, throughout all of our lives. And the big idea and the theme today and what we're gonna look at, verses 12 through 20 and finishing up chapter five, is this, that James ends with direction and instruction and encouragement to the believers that he's writing to. He's writing to this community of believers, and he's saying, hey, this is what your community should be. It should be a place of honesty and trustworthiness, that it should be a place of prayer and healing, and it should be a place of influence and impact. But this takes work. 
This is what God has called the church to be, what we're going to look at today. And guess what? Today, you are the church. It's not the building that we meet in. It's not your parents in the main sanctuary. You, junior high, you individual, seventh and eighth graders, you are the church. You are the community that God has designed. You are a part of it. And even this place that we get to meet uh, kind of apart from other, other people different our age, we get to meet together and it's a sweet thing. And so we're going to look at what that means today. God, we come before you and we thank you uh, that you've given us each other. We thank you that we don't have to walk uh, this life alone, Lord, through the difficult seasons that we have one another, Lord. And I just pray today that uh, you would just convict us, that you'd speak to us of the, of the areas that we lack and the areas that we're doing good in, Lord, that you would uh, speak. God, we are listening to, to you today. Everyone say, Lord, we're listening. God, we're listening to you, and we want to hear from you. We want you to speak to us. Lord, we don't want to hear opinion. We don't want to hear anything else. Lord, I pray that you would use my mouth, Lord, just as your mouthpiece, that it would be you doing the doing. God, we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, James chapter 5, verses 12. Are you guys there? Yeah? If you're there, say word. Word. All right, James chapter 5, verse 12. This is what the church should be, and these are the aspects that this common unity should have. We're going to look at three different things today that the church should be, that this community that we're a part of, uh, God's expectation. And number one, we're going to see in verse 12, is that this community that we're a part of should be an honest and a trustworthy community. That it should be an honest and trustworthy community. Look at verse 12 with me in your Bibles. James wrapping up this book, this letter, he says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So under this first point, uh, he, look at verse 12 again. He says, above all, this is a transitional phrase where he's, he's getting ready, he's landing the plane, right? He's getting ready to wrap it up. And he says, above all else, meaning before anything else, this is important, he's saying. That's the message he's trying to communicate. What he's about to say, he's saying, hey, listen up, sit up in your chairs, uh, make your backs a little straighter, listen. He says, listen, I want to tell you something that you as believers, you don't need to swear. You shouldn't swear, not in regards to curse words, but in saying uh, you're swearing by something to validate what you're saying. He says, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When it says swear, don't, don't think of like a cuss word. Think of this. When it says swear, it means to swear an oath that calls someone or something to witness and enact punishment if one fails to keep it. This is what it means when, when, hopefully you don't say it, but when you say, I swear to God. It's something we're not supposed to do. The Bible specifically says we're not to swear and specifically swear by God. Now, you might hear people at school or you might say it yourself. Hopefully you don't. But it's a, when you say, I swear to God, uh, what you're saying is that I want you, God, to be my witness that I will do this thing. And God, if I don't do this, then I should deserve this punishment, whatever it might be. And so to swear by God is actually a very serious thing, but the Bible says we don't need to do it. Have you guys ever uh, done maybe a pinky swear with your brother or sister or a friend? Do you guys know what like a true pinky swear is? It means like, you know, you lock pinkies, but it means if you don't keep whatever you're saying you're going to do, uh, guess what? They get to break your pinky. 
That's a pinky swear, right? Because there's, you're calling, in a sense, your pinky as your witness, saying, if I don't do this, then you can break my pinky. Or I swear to God as God as my witness. But think about it. Someone who has to swear by something other than just saying yes, uh, they are trying to make up for that their word really can't be trusted. They're saying, trust me, I, I, I'll do this thing. I, I, I'll even, I swear to God. God as my witness, or this pinky swear, or whatever it might be, that you and I as a believer, we don't need to do that because you and I should be people that keep our word. We should be someone who is trustworthy that what we say should be what we do, not, uh, and, and we shouldn't have to call on any higher power in a sense. Does that make sense? You guys following tracking? And this is what, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, uh, James gets this idea. I want you guys to turn there. You see, James didn't just make this up. You guys can flip, flip some pages. I'll, I'll turn there with you. I want you guys to see this though, because James didn't just like draw this out of his back pocket. He's like, you know what? You probably shouldn't swear. No, he got this from the direction of Jesus. Remember, James was his uh, half-brother, Jesus's half-brother. And so he's kind of going back to what we'll see in Matthew, sorry, yeah, chapter five of what Jesus says. He says a very similar Thing. And James is really just bringing this idea and reminding the church. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, you guys there? No, not yet? Okay, say word if you're there. Word. word. Matthew chapter 5. If you're not, I'll give you just a second. We're going to look at verses 33 and 37. This is Jesus speaking, and, he's, and this is during what we call the Sermon on the Mount. But verse 33 read along with me. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your own head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. You have no control over, in a sense, your own body. But let your yes be yes and your no, no. Sounds familiar, right? Then he says, in that at the end of verse 37, he says, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And I want you to look at that last part again. For whatever is more than these. That as a believer, as a community, we should simply just be able to say it and that people could trust that we would do it because of our record, that we shouldn't have to call on a higher power or even pinky promise or anything like that, that we should, as a community, be someone be marked with an honest and, and trustworthiness, that I like when he says uh, this more than this is from the evil one. You see, Satan in the Bible, in John 6, verse 44, he describes uh, Jesus, or Jesus describes Satan as the father of lies, meaning that he is the source. He is the inventor and the creator of a lie. And so when it says that anything more than these, it's from the evil one. That it's to kind of uh, show that even though there's a past history of lying, uh, you can trust what I'm saying. But you and I, we don't have to do that. You and I are to be people of truth. That the words of our mouth would be honest that we would be keepers of our word, that we would keep our promises to one another in, in our community, in this common unity that we have, that we would be counted trustworthy. Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about how our words have weight, that they have weight to them. And when we say we're gonna do something as believers, we should do it. That our yes should be actually yes. 
that we should be people that are trustworthy. No need to swear, just commit to your word. And honestly, if we're gonna, have, if we're gonna be a community, then we're gonna have to trust each other in the small things because then we're gonna be able to start trusting each other with the bigger things. But 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, I love this verse because uh, uh, in 1 Timothy, the letter that Paul's writing, I love how simple he just said. He said, hey, this is what I'm writing to you about. There's no confusion. This is what I'm writing to you about. And he says, I write so that you may know how you may conduct yourself in the house of God, in the church, which is the church of the living God. But notice, this is what I want to point out to you guys today, the pillar and ground of truth. That the church community, us, in this room, we should be marked by truth. That when it says pillar and ground of truth, a pillar is a column. It's used to support a structure. It's to hold it up. Everyone look in the middle of the room. You see that nice pillar right there? If that was not there, or if that broke at any time, you and I would not be here. Do you get my drift? It is supporting the building. That without that, that the roof is coming down and it's not going to be good. That there's these pillars all throughout this building and it's to hold it up. And so in the similar way, you and I, as believers, as representatives of the church of the living God, we are to hold up truth. Meaning that the things we say, when we say we're going to do something, we better do it because we are representatives of the truth. We hold it up. We set the tone, in a sense, for the whole world. But not only are we the pillar of truth that we hold it up, but we're also the ground of truth, right? The pillar and ground. Ground, it means not just like the ground, but that there is a foundation or base that's also used to support a structure to help strengthen the framework. You guys realize that when they built this building, it wasn't like just a bunch of dirt and they're like, oh, there's some holes. And they're like, all right, we'll just build on that. No problem. No, they laid a foundation of solid, solid concrete so that uh, when uh, you know, they build the building and storms come or earthquakes come, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hold the resistance. And so the church is to be the pillar, meaning holding up, and the foundation for truth. That you and I represent that. And yet so often people in the church, they're not found to be very honest or trustworthy. That they are loose with the truth and they aren't committed and faithful to the things that they say. But this community, this is what we have uh, control over. We can't control what the next church down the street's going to do, but this community that we're a part of, that we come to every Sunday, we can commit to being people of honesty and truth, that the things that we say we would actually do, and honestly, we represent it within the world, that when we mess up in this area and the world is to see, they will lump all the church, including God and Christians, together. And that might not be fair, but it's the reality that you and I, when we're out in the world, we represent. And to each other, this is the, this is the foundation, guys, that our community is supposed to be in a community of honesty and trustworthiness, upholding the truth. We should be able to trust what each other says, and we should be faithful to our yeses and our noes. And if we do this, if this is something that this room is marked with third service, if we're marked with this, this will build the bridge to the next point that we're going to look at today, that the church is to be a praying and healing community. This is what the church is to be marked by. But if we can't get this first one right, if we can't trust what each other says, and if we go back on our word, then there will be no effectiveness or power within the second one. 
we're going to look at in a second at the second point of what James is, is making today is that there's power in prayer. But if this first one that we looked at, if that's not being uh, utilized, if that's not happening within our lives with each other, uh, this second one, just forget about it. There, there will be no power. But it's awesome because this number two, uh, that our community is to be a praying and healing community. You're like, healing? What are you, what are you, what are you talking about, Joel? Well, let's look at it. Now, this next section, verses 13 through 18, he talks about this topic of prayer. I want you guys to look with me. You guys good? You're a little quiet. Need some amens every now and then, all right? It gives me a little encouragement to keep going. So uh, let's keep going. Verses 13 through 18. Starting in verse 13, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? He says, Let him pray. Is, any among, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. In verse 17 and 18, he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, meaning he was similar to us. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain. Lost my place. The heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. All about prayer. If you go back, I know that's a, that's a big section. There's a lot there, and we're going we're gonna to take it apart right now. But you look at the first couple verses, uh, there's three different like situations that he says, well, if you're suffering, then pray. If you're cheerful, then sing. And if you're sick, then call the elders. And there's three different situations, but the, the solution to these situations are all the same. It's prayer. He says, if, if you are suffering, pretty simple, meaning going through something hard, he says, pray, ask God to intervene, ask God to do something about it. He says, if you're cheerful, if everything's going good and you're just happy, oh my gosh, then sing to the Lord, sing psalms to him, meaning that you're, that's, that's a type of prayer, right? When we worship, we're praying to the Lord just through a different type of means. And then he says, if you're sick, he says, then that's when you want to call people to come and pray for you. But if you notice this, this third thing in verse 14, it says, is anyone among you sick? This is talking about a physical uh, sickness or illness. And the direction is clear. And it might sound a little weird. I know it does for me. It says, call the elders of the church, tell them to bring oil, and then take the oil and anoint the person, meaning put oil on the person that's sick, and then pray for them in the name of the Lord. And you're like, this is kind of weird. Like, James, why do you, why do you want us to do this? Well, it's a good thing to do. He says to call, meaning to invite someone. That when there is some kind of sick or physical infirmity of some kind, uh, we're to call for those people above us. When it says elders, don't think of some like just old crippled guy, you know, and it's like, okay, those are the people we want praying because they've been praying for a long time and their prayers are more powerful. No, it's just talking about the spiritual leaders in the church. Those who are represented, maybe that work here or are committed to serving here. And uh, they're just our spiritual leaders, Take, for example, even the leaders here in junior high. That, that could even be represented as an elder. And we're to call them, and they're to pray for us. And they're, but then it says to anoint them with oil. And you're like, okay, I get the praying. I get even the spiritual leaders thing, but the oil? 
Are they going to be cooking or what's, what's going on? Cooking some soup with the oil? What, what is, what's going on here? In the Bible, whenever it says uh, talking about oil in this fashion, it's a representation of the Holy Spirit. You see, it's the Holy Spirit that's in us and, and, and has the power, gives us the power to be able to do anything. And so here when it says that anointing with oil, it's just a representation, just like communion, right? That the body and the blood is not actually, uh, the, the juice and the cracker is not actually the blood and body of Jesus. That'd be weird. It's a representation. For you and I, it's a point of connection, and that's all it is. It's a point of connection to realize, hey, this oil represents the spirit. We're just going to put a little on your forehead. That's what we do here. Uh, when someone comes to the church and they're, and they're sick, maybe they have cancer or whatever, we're going to pray for them. Uh, just on Wednesday, uh, if you guys come to Wednesday night services, we're praying for a girl named Brinkley. Uh, Brinkley is a girl that goes to this youth group. Uh, she can't go super often because she has an inoperable, reoccurring brain cancer in her brain. And it's, and it's very dangerous, and she's going through this. And so on Wednesday night, we were praying for her. And we were praying in a way that we were asking God to come and, and to come into her life. And this is good. And so you might ask, well, is there anything special about if the elders come? Do they like have more power because they're like, you know, more spiritual? Does God like hear them more because he's a, he's a pastor, so he's going to come pray for me? No, there's not, there's not necessarily more power in his prayer than if you prayed. But then you might say, well, then why? Well, the direction stands that it is good for us to call on people above us to pray for us. That's, that's all he's trying to get across. And if you were to write that down, it's, it's good to call on the people above you spiritually to pray for you. That's, that, if you want to take one thing, that's it. And so with all these th- three things, whether the suffering or the cheerfulness or the, maybe uh, some kind of physical sickness, we are to pray. Whether we're to pray for our own situation, we're to sing God in, in a way of prayer, or we're to call other people to come alongside us and pray for us. So what's the, what's the bottom line? That the church, our community, as we get together, it should be a place of all kinds of prayer. Personal prayer, prayer to God in song, praying for one another, that our community should be stamped that we pray. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. We should be. But you might ask, well, Joel, okay, but, but how should we pray? In what manner? Well, verse 15, he says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. You see, he says, when you pray, whenever that might be, whether you're praying someone for someone to get healed, whether you're praying for, for your own kind of sufferings and what you're going through, and you're saying, God, help me through this situation, or you're praying in form of song and you're, and you're blessing God. He says, whenever you pray, always pray by faith. What does that mean? Meaning that when you pray, you should really believe uh, that God is listening and he is able, that he is powerful trusting in who he is, because God listens when we pray by faith. God listens and he responds. You can write that down. When we pray by faith, God listens and God responds. You see, it's not your faith that heals someone. It's God's power, of course. But our prayer of faith seems to enact or uh, bring forth God's power. I don't know how that works. I just know that the Bible says, hey, when you pray, pray like you really mean it and you will see God move. You will. You will see God move. And you might say, well, I have a question for you guys. Does God always heal the person if we pray by faith? 
if we pray like, okay, I, I, this is like, I'm really believing this. Will God heal that person every time? No. Will he heal that person sometimes? Yeah. And you might say, well, how do we know when he doesn't heal or when he does heal? You see, there's some things in life we just can't fathom. We don't know. I can't tell you that answer. I, all I know is that he always does what is according to his master plan. And that's something we simply cannot fully grasp. All we know is that our job, what God tells us to do is say, hey, leave the healing up to me. Leave the powerful things that I'm going to do up to me. I, I got that covered. You just pray. And when you pray, mean it. When you pray, trust me. Trust me that I'm listening. Trust that I'm able. And so uh, I like verse 16 because he kind of gets into practical, right? He, he talks about prayer. Okay, this is where to pray. Got it. We're to pray by faith. But then how does this really look in a community? How does this look in the junior high room on Sundays? How does this look in the junior high room on Wednesdays or in the courtyard? When we actually come together in this common unity, what do we do? Well, notice that there is this togetherness through this whole thing. It's always about this togetherness. And so verse 16 says that we are to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another for the purpose of healing. And if you're like me, when you read verse 16, it says, confess your trespasses or sins to one another. If you're like me, you're kind of resistant to that. You're like, uh, that sounds uncomfortable. What do you mean confess my sins to one another? You, if you're like me, then you'll say, oh, well, I'll just confess it to the Lord and we'll get, but I don't want to tell anyone that I'm actually struggling with this. Now I have a question for you guys. Does this mean when it says confess your sins to one another, does this mean that we're to confess all of our sins every time we sin to one another? No. And I don't know exactly the balance or what that should look like. All I know is this, that between believers, between the family of God, there should be an openness and an honesty of what we're going through. That there should be an openness and honesty, a willingness to be a little vulnerable. And God says that when this confession, it's not just for the purpose of like, uh, I'm just going to say this to you and that's it. No, it's always for the purpose of prayer. He says, confess it to one another, meaning be open and just honest. You don't have to say everything, but what are you struggling with? What's going on? But that should always lead to prayer. He says, pray for one another. The, the point of confession is always prayer, that we are to intercede on behalf of each other, not only for physical things. When someone is sick, oh man, yeah, let's call the elders, let's do this, let's get some oil on that person. Uh, yeah, let's pour, let's pour the oil on them, let's, let's pray. But also for spiritual things. Also when we're going through this physical battle, this, sorry, the spiritual battle of dealing with sin. And he says, when you're willing to be open with one another and you're willing to pray for one another, what is the result? Look in your Bibles. It says confession and this prayer, it leads to healing. It leads to healing. You can write this down. Mutual confession and intercession brings healing. Intercession is just another word for, it just means praying on behalf of someone else. So confession plus intercession equals healing. And this healing, it, it comes up a few different times in the New Testament, sometimes as physical healing, but oftentimes as spiritual healing as well. And I believe in this context, it's talking about a spiritual healing. And when we are real with one another, when we are raw with one another and invest spiritually into one another, into spiritual things, there is a lot of good that comes from that. Everyone say good. good. There's a lot of good that comes from that. 
But remember, it's God who always does the healing, physically and spiritually. Our job is just to pray. That's very clear. But this is hard. Uh, It's very difficult to be vulnerable, to be open. And oftentimes, a lot of us aren't willing to do that. But I encourage you, if there's something going on and you're struggling, this openness and praying for one another can go a long way and it can start doing some healing that wouldn't come otherwise. And so our job is to ask for prayer and pray like our mean it. Pray like we mean it. But you might ask, why? Why should we ask for prayer? Why should we even pray like we mean it? Because prayer works. Everyone say, prayer works. Prayer works. Prayer works. It really, it really, amen, it really does. Look at verse 16. Look, at, look again in your Bibles. It says that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, it avails much. Meaning that when you actually begin to pray like you mean it, by faith, it works. It really does work. That word prayer in verse 16, when it says the prayer of a, of a, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, that word for prayer is not your typical word for prayer in the New Testament. Uh, it, it, it has a little more umph to it. It's what I like to call a for real prayer. Everyone say for real prayer. This is a for real prayer. This is praying not, not like a prayer before you go to bed and you're like, Jesus, help me sleep. Amen. And you fall asleep. That's cool. Keep doing that. It's not a, a prayer like before you eat breakfast in the morning, say, God bless his food in Jesus' name. Amen. No, this is a for real prayer, meaning that it has a, a, a connotation of fervency, uh, earnesty, and urgency. Everyone say heartful prayer equals powerful prayer. All right, now write that down. Heartful prayer, meaning that when you have your heart in it, that it, be, it, it results in powerful prayer, a for real prayer. And it says that when you do this, it avails much, meaning that it has the capacity and the ability to do something great, that it accomplishes great things. And I have no idea how this works. I can't tell you. I don't know. God just says, pray, and God says, I will move. God says, pray like you mean it, pray for real, and I will begin to move. Sometimes it's different than you might think. Sometimes God won't heal that person, but he'll do something different. But as we begin to pray, it really does work. But notice that it says a righteous person. Now, not a righteous person, don't think of like someone that has a halo or a perfect person, but someone who's just walking faithful with God, harmony to his will. The Bible says that there's more powerful, there's more power in that for whatever reason, I think because you're, you're aligned with God. And so when you pray like you mean it, but you're also living a life to the Lord, God says, oh, watch out. That person, that person is dangerous. Why? Because they pray and God moves. And that's awesome. And we get an example though, before he moves on to this last point, he gives us an example of a guy in the Old Testament named Elijah. Everyone say Elijah. Elijah. Anyone know anything about Elijah? Anyone? You can shout it out. What, give, me, give me one detail or fact that you know about Elijah in the Bible. What? Spiritual, right? He was a, do you guys know he's a prophet? He's some crazy stuff. He called down fire from heaven. You know he never actually died? That, that uh, the Lord came down in a chariot of fire, picked him up, and he went up to heaven in like a whirling crazy thing? That's nuts. Elijah amazing dude, used by God in powerful ways. And the Bible says right here, James is saying, you know that guy, Elijah, that did like those crazy things for God that was like called down fire from heaven? God says, you know, he was just like you. 
just like you. Well, then what made him different? Well, we'll see in a second. But this, he said that he was a nature like ours, meaning that, that he had the same limitations. Elijah wasn't so holy that he could like fly to point to point to do work for God. He wasn't that, he, no, that he had the same limitations as you and I. But sometimes we put these guys on a pedestal. Sometimes we put people that God uses in big ways and we start to lift them up. But I love it because James here, he kind of takes Elijah down and he says, look, Elijah is normal. Elijah was a person. Guess what? Elijah had to use the restroom at times. He had to sleep. He had to eat. He had limitations. Just like you and I, he was relatable. Then what made him different? It was that he prayed. He prayed not just little prayers, but he prayed for real prayers. He prayed earnestly. He prayed with fervency. And it says that he, his prayer was so powerful that he said, he said that this rain's going to stop for three and a half years on the land as judgment to them. And it says that for three and a half years, no rain came to the land. And then when he prayed again, it says that the rain came back. You're like, what? I love it because think about, uh, think about uh, the, uh, the sky, right? That's where rain comes from. Sometimes we refer to it as the heavens. It's like, oh man, it's like, uh, maybe you've heard that in the Bible or whatever, that it's, it's the heavens. But I like this because think about it. There's this guy named Matthew Henry, and he says this, prayer is the key which opens and shuts heaven. Now, not in, don't think in regards to a water coming down from the sky, but think about the, the way that God moves, that prayer is what moves God. But again, he prayed for real. See where it says he prayed earnestly? I like this. We can't really translate it because it wouldn't make much sense. But it literally, if you take the original language, it says that in prayer, he prayed. That Elijah, in prayer, he prayed. It was a Hebrew, it's a Hebrew idiom, meaning it's a figure, it's kind of a figure of speech. But what is it trying to say? It means that he prayed for real. That he prayed, that he meant it. That he prayed and he prayed again. It wasn't just this one-time prayer, but that Elijah prayed and God moved. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. This is Jesus speaking. He says, this is how we should pray, that we should ask and it will be given to you. He says, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open. This is all in regards to prayer. He says, for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks, he says, it will be open. He says, ask. He says, seek. He says, knock. And you're like, okay, that's not a big deal. Well, I want to give you a little more of what these words mean. When he says ask, it means to to ask in a way with expectation. That you and I, when we pray, we should pray expecting that God's going to do something. We might not know what, but we should pray with expectation. That's the ask. When he says seek, this word seek, it implies serious effort. It implies serious effort on our part. Have you guys ever lost something before? Maybe uh, you, lo- you lost your homework in your, in, your back- in your backpack, and then you're at school, and your teacher's asking for your homework. You're like, I know I did it. And so you start searching through and tearing everything out, and all of a sudden your backpack's inside out and all your stuff's all over there, but no homework. Right? You're, you're seeking that. That's the type of word that he says that in our praying that we should seek, that there should be a serious effort to, to not let go of God in, until he moves. And then he says, knock. This knock is not... Um, a soft knock, it's, 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 a, it's a pounding. It's as if someone came to your door and was like, there's an emergency, and then they're pounding on your door. Have you ever had someone come, come over, and they're like, they, they're outside for a while, and then they call you, and they're like, hey, I'm outside. Like, you didn't answer the door. 
And you're like, I didn't hear you. You're like, well, I was knocking. And you're like, dude, that, that was not a knock. Like, you got you to knock. Like, let me know you're here, right? And we got to let God know that we're here. And that God, we, 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 this is our desire. And this is what God wants from us. He wants us to come asking and seeking and knocking. And the Bible says that when you pray like this, praying for real, it'll be given to you. You will find and it will be opened to you. And so this number two point, that the church is to be a community of prayer and healing, both physically and spiritually, that we should be open with each other and praying for one another and praying by faith and praying for real. And out of this comes healing. And if we do these first two points, you can put the two, the two on the board. If we do these first two, that we're honest and trustworthy, that we're, that we're people of our word, that we begin to pray and be open with each other and this healing is able to come, that these two points paves the way for this last one to accomplish it, that the church is to be an influential and impactful community, that honesty and trustworthiness will lead to prayer and healing. And these things will lead to having an influence and impact in more ways than you can ever imagine, not only in the world, but in individual lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters who are around us. And so we'll close out James chapter five with, with verse 19 and 20. The last two verses. He says this, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I want you to notice in verse 19 that word wanders. You can, if you have your own Bible, you can underline it or circle it. Wanders, it means to disbelieve, to go astray, meaning that you were on the right path at one point, but you began to wander. You began to veer. Wandering, it implies that it was a slow process. Uh, if you guys have ever been on the, the freeway with your parents and it was maybe late at night and they were tired, and maybe you've experienced the, the jerk, right? They begin to veer, kind of dozing off. And then they hit those bumps and they're like, oh my gosh, and they turn back. You guys know what I'm talking about? Those little bumps on the road? No, Jackson, you've never been on the freeway? Oh, crazy. And so those bumps, right? Those bumps are, are going. They're like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm gonna get back in my lane. It's like, okay, good. See, that's, that's the type of word that it's implying, this, this slow wandering. But you and I are to be those little bumps in the road for each other. That we're to be those, those warning that when we, when we feel those bumps, okay, okay, I'll, I'll turn back. That you and I are to turn one another back. But this word wandering, I like it because it shows up one. It shows up a few other times in the in the New Testament, but one we're pretty familiar with. That's Matthew chapter eighteen, verse twelve. I know you guys have heard of this uh, story before, but it's Jesus speaking, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he says, "What do you think?" He says, "If a man has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying?" Have you guys ever heard of the the, the story of the right? The lost sheep, the 99. Where's your hand if you're familiar with this at all? You've ever heard any kind of quotation or anything? You totally, right? Well, see that word goes astray. That's the same word wandering. And this is awesome. I love this because this is God's heart. God says he loves the wandering child. He loves the wandering sheep. Those that go astray, he loves them and he'll leave everyone else just to go and get them. And this should be our heart as well. 
And you might ask, well, how, how, does, how does God leave the 99 and actually practically go and get that one? How does he do that? Well, I would, I would uh, propose to you today that it's through us, that God does this through us, that he uses us, he uses this community to keep each other on track. And this is cool, that God wants to use us as those bumps on the freeway that keep each other in the lane, that we should have brothers on this side and brothers on that side, or if you're a chica today, sisters on that side and sisters on that side, right? And we should be bearing arms so that if we try to go, we bump into one another and we're like, okay, no, no, back, back on the path. See that word in, in verse 20, he says, sorry, in verse 19, it says that someone turns him back. It means to have influence on someone in a way to change one directions and course, um, maybe you were younger and you, you were one that played with some railroad tracks or maybe you had a younger brother that did. But either way, you guys are familiar with the railroad. You guys have ever seen a train before? Maybe some train tracks? If you know how they work, there's different intersections in a sense where uh, they're actually able to change the, the course. They're able to change the track where it was going down one direction. Okay, the next train's coming and it needs to go that way. And so the, the, the track will, will shift. You see, that's the type of concept here, that you and I can have influence in a way that we can't force someone, of course, but we can be there to help change the course, that though they were going this way, turn them back on the right path. This is sweet. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted." He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Very similar concept, that you and I should have influence and impact in each other's lives. That when someone is overtaken with sin, that we should be able to come and, and, and us who maybe are doing good with the Lord, restore them. Restore, it means to repair or to put together what is broken. That, that God wants to use this community in your life to impact you. And God wants you to use you and the lives of the people around you to impact them. And when we do this, verse 20 says that we will save a soul from death. But that word save, you could also translate it rescue. And I like that one a little bit better. That we have the ability to rescue one another. We have that ability. God has given that to us. In Jude 22 and 23 says, On some have compassion making a distinction, but others save with fear. That, that word save is the same one we see here. It's that rescue, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And sometimes this is super difficult because this means a little bit of confrontation. This means a little bit of saying something that might feel uncomfortable. And oftentimes we're timid and afraid to do this in each other's lives. That we think, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to upset them. I don't want to damage our friendship or relationship. I don't want to bring this division, so I'm not going to say anything. I see them going down. I see them wandering. I see them veering, but I don't think I'm going to say anything. Instead, we should be thinking, how can I rescue them? How can I change their course? How can I have this impact? And God would desire us desire to use us to impact and influence one another. We need each other because you and I were prone to wander. We are, myself included, the leaders 
are the most spiritual person in the world that knows God more than, better than anyone else, they are prone to wander. We're prone to veer. And that's why we need that encouragement of our brothers and sisters to turn us back. And this is an amazing thing, guys. This is an amazing influence that God gives us in the lives of one another. And so I'd encourage you, you start seeing one of your friends that you know is a believer, you know they're walking with the Lord and they love him. You start seeing them veering, call them out. The Bible says that sometimes we're supposed to have compassion. So some people just need a little encouragement. You just say, hey, hey, get back on the path. Hey, just, uh, you know, I, I see you going in this direction and uh, man, I'm just a little worried about you. Like, let's do this. And they might say, oh my gosh, like, dude, you're totally right. You know, I'm gonna get back, I'm gonna get back on that. But I have seen others, and this is where we need to make a distinction and uh, a difference that we need to come into the lives of others and they're not willing to have the compassion or the gentleness that they, they need someone to pull them out of the fire in a sense and say, no, we're not going in this direction. I'm your brother, I'm your sister, and I love you, and I see you going down this, and we need to change. Of course, you can't change someone's decisions, but you can have impact. And so we are the church. We're a special community designed by God to change the world and to have impact on each other. And so how does this happen? How does this work? Well, number one, we are to be an honest and trustworthy community. We are to be that pillar. Remember that, that thing that holds up truth, that we are to be men and women of our word, that others should be able to actually trust what we say. And you might say, well, why? So that when we speak about the things of God, that they can trust that. But if they can't trust us in the other areas of life, if we're not faithful to our word, how, why would they ever believe? Think about, think about your friends at school. If you're, like, if you're just like kind of known to be kind of a liar or uh, you say things, but then you always fall through, how can they trust what you're going to say about God? They can't. Amen. Amen. And with each other, if, if we can't be honest and, and we can't trust each other, how are we going to ever ask for prayer for one another? How are we going to be open? That's going to be very difficult. And so we need to make sure that we're people marked by honesty and trustworthiness. And number two, that we're to be that community marked by prayer and that results in healing. That when we pray for one another, which the Bible commands that we should, that we would actually believe what we're saying. It'd be those for real prayers that we are to be open with one another about what we struggle with so that healing can come. That we're to ask and seek and knock. And all this should result in us being influential and impactful in the lives of each other. That as one another, as we wander and we begin to step to the left or the right, that we need each other to keep on track. We do. We need each other. There is no such thing as an isolated Christian. You can't. You will eventually wander. You'll eventually fall. You, you won't be able to do it alone. That you need community and you need this one. And this is God's heart for us that he would leave the 99. Would you? Would you be willing to step out of your comfort zone and say something that you, that you see in, in a friend, in a brother or sister? So often we're not, but I want to commit today that we would be willing to leave our comfortability behind and go after one another. So worship team, you guys can come out. And guys, this is what God desires for our church, for this church, for the junior high ministry. This is what God desires. The question today is, are you up to it? Are, you, are we willing to personally invest into one another, to contribute uh, to this, com this community?
And so let's commit today uh, to be marked by integrity in the things that we say, to be open for one another, and just to pray with one another. And when we wander, that we would be willing to go after each other. Let's pray. God, we so thank you for, Lord, just not making us do this Christian walk on our own. Lord, that when, the, when life's difficulties come, that we don't have to try to figure it out. Lord, that we can lean on one another. Lord, that you have built your church, Lord, to be able to endure and to go up against the gates of hell. Lord, how much more have you envisioned for it to be able to change the hearts of men? Lord, we pray in this place, and specifically this room, third service. God, we pray that you would do a new work in us. Lord, that we wouldn't just walk in and out of this room each week. God, we wouldn't just play church. God, but we would love each other. That we would be willing to be honest. That we would be willing to step out of our comfort zone and pray. And Lord, not just learn about these things, but start doing these things. Lord, we know that can only come from you. That we could manufacture something, but it would be fake. God, we want it to come from you. And so do a work in this room. Do a work in this church. Do a work in your church. God, we submit ourselves to you and ask that you would use us. Lord, that you would change us. That you would, Lord, take away our hard hearts. And you would replace it with soft, moldable hearts. God, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. time that happens, just go to the person and pray. You're like, I don't know what to pray. Just, just start praying. Pray like you mean it and see what happens, all right? You guys can stand. We're going to close in a song of worship.